Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Do you ever wonder if that little bit of forgetting that you're doing, where you put your keys, where you put your stuff, where's your phone, might be a sign of something more than just forgetting? Well, everybody's concerned about developing dementia these days, as it is something that we hear a lot more about. And we're seeing, as we all get older, I'm seeing some changes that I've noticed that make me wonder, uh uh-oh, do I need to be extra careful about memory issues? But not all memory problems are related to Alzheimer's, although that's often in the news. That is not the only type of condition for which people can experience some memory changes. Today, we're going to be talking with Dr. Jason Virick, and we're going to be hearing from Catherine Mitchell. They are both spearheading some of the neurologic research that's going on right here in the islands at Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience Clinical Research Center and Brain Research Innovation and Translational Labs. What we're going to be talking about today is what are the signs and symptoms of vascular dementia? And how is this something serious that we're now starting to do some research for right here in the islands? Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Dr. Kozak. Very nice to be here. Thank you for having us, Dr. Kozak. Well, Dr. Varick, let's talk with you. Vascular dementia, that sounds scary. It's not maybe the most common thing that people hear about, but the conditions that cause it are very common. What is vascular dementia, and why might somebody get it? So dementia is a condition in which people are becoming more and more forgetful. Everyone knows about Alzheimer's disease. It's one kind of dementia. Vascular dementia is another kind where the problem is with blood flow to the brain. The primary problem is not enough blood is getting through to nourish the brain. Um, And because uh, it's generally a problem with blood vessels, we call it vascular. So what would make blood vessels not able to get blood flow to the brain? Are there other common conditions that might predispose someone to this? Yes, there are. The very common conditions of high blood pressure and high cholesterol both affect Uh, the ability of uh, blood vessels to deliver um, uh, oxygen and nutrients to the brain. With cholesterol, uh, the reasoning is that cholesterol builds up in the walls of the artery, kind of like rust on the inside of pipes. Uh, With high blood pressure, the problem is that uh, because the blood vessels in the brain are not used to dealing with high blood pressure, they're not designed for that, they tend to um, try to adapt to the high blood pressure, again, by thickening the walls of the arteries, and that tends to decrease the area on the inside where blood can be. Um, There are other changes, but these are simple ways to remember how both of those conditions um, affect the blood vessels in the brain and make it so they can't work properly. Well, and... Boy, day in, day out, I see people who have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, some of these other potential risk factors that could affect blood flow to their brain. Now, you mentioned that it could lead to this vascular change. Is it something that 
has some beginning early warning signs, or are we talking about when the blood flow is impaired so much that it causes a stroke, or are those somewhat on the same continuum? It, it's on a continuum. Um, <clears throat> a stroke would be an obvious, for many people, I think an obvious event where you know something bad happened to the brain. It's not surprising that someone might be more forgetful after a stroke. But even short of something dramatic like that happening, just years of high blood pressure affects the brain. We uh, have seen this when we do MRIs of people, people who've never had a stroke, but we can see changes on the MRI that are due to all those years of high blood pressure. And those changes also um, are proportional to people's forgetfulness. People who have more of these changes that we see from high blood pressure tend to be more forgetful. But we've actually seen the direct effect of high blood pressure on the brain and imaging. And we've seen it clinically how people get more forgetful. Um, For some people, it might not be dementia kind of forgetfulness, at, at least early on. Um, uh, it tends to be trouble retrieving certain things. Now, everyone occasionally has times where we can't think of somebody's name. Okay, that makes me feel better because that happens to me all the time. So just because I can't remember someone's name does not mean that I'm in a serious, worrisome category. But what sort of forgetfulness could be associated with these changes? So one thing is if that kind of thing becomes like actually interfering with your life, like um, you cannot think of what you need for something that you use every day. The, um, a, a, it's hard to say, oh, this is exactly the point where it becomes bad. But I think most of us will realize when something becomes more than normal. If you can't remember the name of some actor that was in a movie, but then later it comes to you, that happens to all of us. If you have trouble thinking of the names of common items that you use every day and you should be used to using, that's, um, that's more concerning. Another thing that can happen is thinking seems to slow down. People have trouble processing words. Um, it takes them a while to think about things. Uh, it takes them a while to respond. Um, and they just don't seem as quick and sharp as they always did in a, in a real meaningful way. These are the kind of things that people will be experiencing if they have vascular problems with memory. Now, are these the sorts of things that someone else might notice for them? I mean, I often wonder that if you don't have the insight to know that you're slowing down or you just don't realize it, could your loved ones see a discernible change in what your behavior is like? Would they be the first ones to notice? So with vascular dementia, often it actually is the person themselves. A, a difference between vascular dementia and Alzheimer's is that in Alzheimer's disease, people are often unaware of their memory problems. In fact, somewhat defensive about it. They say, everyone tells me I'm forgetful, but I'm not. With vascular dementia, people are usually have more insight, and they, they often are the first ones to be concerned. 
um, if a family member notices it first, it might just be because someone was too afraid to speak up. So this idea that you would have this this potential problem that would affect your memory, you know, in most cases, you're going to know it and you're going to say, hey, I think I think I might have a problem here and now I need to know what it is that I can do about it. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come right back, we're going to talk some more about what would be those things that you could do and what are some of the first places you should go to get it checked out. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Jason Virick in the studio, actually on the phone, and Catherine Mitchell from Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience, and we're talking about vascular dementia. What happens when you start slipping and forgetting things and you know you're doing it? That could be a sign of some troubles. Earlier before the break, we talked a little bit about some of the big risk factors being high blood pressure and high cholesterol, both of which are pretty common, and that this could potentially decrease the amount of blood flow going to the brain and as a result have some effects on memory. Now, Dr. Varick, let's just say that you're starting to experience some of these symptoms and it's more than you would expect and maybe you're someone who has a history of high blood pressure or high cholesterol. What should you do first? The first person to talk to would be your doctor. Um, go uh, get uh, a a good medical examination and medical evaluation from your doctor. There are uh, some medical things like the onset of diabetes or other uh, conditions that your doctor would check that if they could fix would say, oh, gosh, now I feel so much better. My memory is better. Um, my recommendation would be to start by going to your doctor and discussing with them. If there are no um, medical problems, um, the next step most people take is to talk to a neurologist um, who can do more sophisticated testing to look for the various things that can make people more forgetful. So what would some of those tests be? Would we ta be talking about brain imaging, looking at CAT scans or MRIs, or trying to identify if there's another cause for those? I mean, I would imagine given the ubiquity of high blood pressure and high cholesterol, if you have those conditions and they're well controlled, then you'd kind of have to wonder what else could I do? If you, if you have those conditions and they're not well controlled, I would imagine step one would be, you know, get them better controlled, like you mentioned. What sort of sophisticating testing might a neurologist do? Oh, one thing, of course, uh, often done is an MRI. MRI can pick up, um, Things like uh, unrecognized little strokes in the brain. We call them silent strokes or silent infarcts. Um, an MRI can see if there uh, the, uh, are problems with the fluid spaces in the brain um, that might be starting to interfere with memory. MRI, uh, very rarely in these cases does MRI see a brain tumor, um, but 
if people are concerned, that is one of the things MRI can tell you is not there or is there. Um, there are various structural things that can impact general memory that we look for in an MRI. And because of what we've been talking about here, it often can see traces of high blood pressure over the years. This is uh, the most useful part of getting imaging. Other tests may include more blood tests than the doctor routinely does. Uh, we will often get an EEG. The EEG is a test where we look at the electrical activity in the brain. It's very simple, much like if you go to your doctor and have an EKG where they look at your heart rhythm and stick these electrodes on your chest and check your heart rhythm. The EEG is just uh, checking the brain rhythm by putting electrodes on the skull and recording for a few minutes. Um, these are the kind of tests that a neurologist would probably start with. So there may be some additional tests that would be very specific to what's going on. You've mentioned MRI. There are certain reasons why MRIs might be a little better than a CAT scan to look for this. Why might that be the case? Oh, one is uh, MRI is more sensitive for seeing um, one of the things that I talked about a moment ago, which is silent strokes. Um, Small little strokes in the uh, middle of the brain uh, are not well seen on a CT scan, um, but MRI is perfect for that sort of thing, much more sensitive than a CT scan, more sensitive for seeing traces of high blood pressure than a CT scan would be. So the MRI might be a preferred test for that reason, but if somebody, for whatever medical reason, can't get an MRI, they might still, there's enough that they could potentially see on a CAT scan that it could help, at least with some of the basic differentials that you've talked about with major findings in the brain. Is that right? That is correct. And um, sometimes when patients have come to our clinic, and for whatever reason, an MRI is not something that can be done, we will get a screening CAT scan. Um, uh, um, Yes. Now, other than treating the underlying conditions like the blood pressure, the cholesterol, the diabetes, possibly addressing blood thinners if necessary to prevent further events, there's there's not really a whole lot of other treatment that currently takes place with vascular dementia, but that may be about to change. Now, your research coordinator, Catherine Mitchell, is on the line. And Catherine, what sort of research are we looking at for vascular dementia? Great question. So right now we are currently doing a trial called the ADVISE trial, and we're looking for patients with Alzheimer's disease and cardiovascular risk factors, and we're looking at a new investigational medication. It's a once-daily oral therapy, and we're looking at it over a three-month treatment period. And we want to see the the safety profile for it, and over the three-month treatment, we will be um, looking at our patient's performance on tests of memory and cognition. Do you think three months is enough time? Is that where you would expect to see some sort of a benefit? That's, that's what uh, the hope is from the preliminary trials. And in uh, trials that have been done for other treatments or other kind of things, three months uh, has been long enough to see a positive um, a positive response. Wow. Okay. So if somebody's uh, wanted to know more about it, <clears throat> how would they know if they were a candidate to be in this trial? Would they have to have the diagnosis of vascular dementia? 
So they would actually have to have the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, but have at least two cardiovascular risk factors, whether that's high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, or are just overweight. And that's where we have the screening visit where they'll be invited to come into our clinical research center. And then a, our neurologist or our physician will do a medical exam and just to see whether they're eligible for the trial. So if they are eligible for the trial and they participate in the study, what happens after the three months? Great question. So this is a phase 2A. Our hope is if the medication does work, it does move on to phase 2B and then phase 3, then phase 4. We would, of course, um, invite them back for the next portion of the trial, but all the data and information that they contribute to it would be helping future research down the line. So they may see a benefit. It might be a continued benefit, hard to know, and at the same time, that may help to further research in the future for other people with the same condition. Exactly. Now, when you think about vascular conditions that could cause these problems, you know, we certainly are talking about the effect on the brain. You mentioned cardiovascular risk factors because very often people recognize that what affects the heart affects the brain and vice versa. So some of those cardiovascular risk factors, would those be similar to what we discussed earlier as potential reasons why the brain would be affected as well? That's exactly right. So the high blood pressure, the diabetes, the high cholesterol, those sorts of conditions that might actually put somebody at risk for heart problems that we might think about also put them at risk for brain problems. And controlling those conditions is really of utmost importance, no matter what the situation is, I would imagine. Right, because the pathology of how this is affected is the same, whether it's occurring to blood flow in the heart so it gives someone a heart attack, or if it's occurring to blood flow in the brain, um, causing strokes or vascular damage and, and memory loss. Um, so that although it's not exactly the same situation, there's a pretty big overlap between those things that will affect your heart, what we call cardiovascular risk factors, and those things that will affect your brain. So what's good for your heart is also good for your brain. All the things we talk about, controlling the blood pressure and keeping yourself healthy and active and doing exercise, watching your diet, it, it's not just for a healthy heart. It could be for a healthy entire body. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Jason Varick and Catherine Mitchell about what are some of the other things types of conditions that could also be associated with having some memory concerns and what can be done about those as well. There might be some clinical trials and information out there that we might not have been aware of before. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Jason Varick on the line with Catherine Mitchell from Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience, and we've been talking about vascular dementia. What are some of the risk factors for it? Why it's important to know if you have those risk factors and what 
exercise, good blood pressure, good cholesterol, monitoring your sugars can do to help protect not just your heart, but also protect your brain. Now, there are some other somewhat rare medical conditions that also affect cognition. And there's one I wanted to talk about in particular, uh, Dr. Dr. Varick, Huntington's chorea. That's something that we don't hear about very often, but it can also affect someone's cognitive efforts. Is that right? That is correct. Um, it's an inherited condition. We call it one of the neurodegenerative conditions because um, it's progressive over time, relentlessly so. Um, it's called chorea, Huntington's chorea, because the motor manifestation that people have, the symptom that is obvious when you see someone, are abnormal movements of the arms and legs. Uh, this is the abnormal movements are called chorea. That's what gives it its name. But the way it affects the brain is it also um, affects mood and uh, people's uh, cognitive ability, their memory is, uh, can be greatly affected. It's kind, the kind of memory problems people will have would be much like you would see in vascular dementia, that kind of forgetfulness, but more rapidly progressive and more devastating uh, to the individual. So it's one of the other potential related conditions when we talk about memory loss, that it might be associated with this somewhat rare but degenerative, neurodegenerative condition that it often runs in families. There's a genetic predisposition. Is that right? That is correct. And so if someone in your family has had it, you might be aware of it. But depending on how many generations your family goes back, it might not have been something that they were aware of back then. Could that be true? Well, that is true. Also, it's a condition which can actually get worse with each generation. And it might be that uh, the gene that you inherit from a parent, say, that in the parent that gene caused uh, symptoms say very late in life, so that everybody said, "Well, they're they're getting old. They're a little shaky. They're getting forgetful. They they didn't think about it." But it could be if you inherited it that the condition is actually worse in your case, more obvious. Starts at a younger age, um, and affects movement and memory. So successive generations might have this happen earlier, which would, again, I guess, uh, be the reason why you might not be aware of the severity in generations gone by. It certainly sounds like if you start off having some memory concerns, there's a real important value in making sure that the diagnosis that you pursue is the correct one and that you get checked out to make sure that we don't assume that it's a different type of memory issue that maybe you don't have, and there's something else that could require even more identification. So do you often see folks in your practice that require that further investigation of what what is their exact memory problem and, and what's the process to go through to identify it really carefully to make sure they're not misdiagnosed? So <clears throat> one thing, of, of course, is uh, to be examined by a neurologist who can look for signs on examination besides memory that give a clue as to what's going on. People might not be aware that those little extra movements that they're doing are a big clue to what kind of memory problem they have. Uh, people might not realize that their change in balance 
um, is actually a clue. That's a, a different kind of memory problem that we've been talking about here, but there's another kind of memory problem where people have trouble with their gait. And just having an experienced neurologist look at you and see what the gait is like. Uh, for all these kind of conditions, MRI can be somewhat helpful. We can see signs on it. Um, sometimes uh, testing like a spinal tap is necessary. Sometimes we use uh, scans like a PET scan or a SPECT scan to look at the metabolism in the brain to give us a clue as to what, what is the process that's causing the memory trouble. So a lot of folks, I would think, might just figure that little tremor is just something to not worry about, but it sounds like from what you're saying, bring it to the attention of your provider. And if they feel as though there's a question, they may encourage you to see a neurologist to get a really careful examination and come up with more specifics regarding what condition you might be most likely to have. And that that could change your treatment possibilities entirely. Now, are we doing any clinical trials on Huntington's chorea? I'm so glad you asked, Dr. Kozak. Um, yes, so we are. We have the dimension study, which is looking at the cognitive, cognitive symptoms of an investigational oral medication in folks with early Huntington's disease. And similar to our advised trial, it is three months long, but what's different is that there's an open label extension for one year after the three months. What that means is our patients are guaranteed the medication after completing the three months um, of the original trial. And I'd like to encourage anyone who is interested in um, dementia trials or memory disorders trials to give us a call at 808-564-6141. We do have a team of neurologists and physicians here at the Clinical Research Center and Memory Disorder Center who are very experienced and are able to um, do a, be able to diagnose um, appropriately for that. But um, thank you so much for asking, Dr. Kozak. I'm curious, you know, Dr. Varick, have you seen that the ability to enroll people in some of these clinical trials has really, uh, in my mind, it's sort of the next step for how we develop new treatments, but there's a variety of different medical conditions for which your center is looking at doing clinical trials, and I'm curious, what other sorts of memory issues uh, are being studied right now? So besides what we've mentioned, we have several trials that I think are still ongoing, uh, related to plain old Alzheimer's disease, um, the, both with trying to um, improve memory in uh, people with Alzheimer's disease, uh, studies on improving some of the other symptoms that people with Alzheimer's disease have, such as agitation. Um, there's no good accepted treatment for people with memory loss from Alzheimer's disease who begin to get really irritable very unpleasant both for the patient and for their loved ones who are with them. Um, and uh, we're participating in a study that's trying to come up with a treatment to help that and really help their quality of life. So in any case, when people think about what's going on for their memory issues, if they or their, or their loved one is starting to experience a decline in how they're doing, it's it's 
in my mind, it's worth it to investigate what sort of trials are out there to see if they might be a candidate to participate and to find out if some of these medications might help to help them to mitigate some of their symptoms. Uh, Catherine, if somebody wanted to know more about what are all the trials available through your center, how would they be able to find that information? If they're computer savvy, is there a website they could go to? Yes, of course. So our website is www.hawaiineuroscience.com. And if they're phone savvy, they can give us a call at 808-564-6141. And feel free to ask for Catherine. I love it. Phone savvy. I think I'm probably more phone savvy than computer savvy. So I appreciate you adding that. Well, I want to thank both of you for sharing your expertise with us today. That's Dr. Jason Virick and Catherine Mitchell from Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience Clinical Research Center and Brain Research Innovation and Translation Labs. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you here next week when we talk about more health topics right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then. 